I wanted to, before we begin, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and, and turn there. Uh, if you guys haven't uh, heard or seen any updates from our team in Malaysia, things are going very well there. Uh, I've seen a lot of pictures and stuff on Facebook, and uh, they're doing a lot of good work in an orphanage there uh, in KL, and also on the college campus that's there, and I think that they're having a great time. Pastor Richard, actually, they're 12 hours ahead of us in time, and so it's... 11.30 at night there now, tonight. And so they got to go to church yesterday, <laughs> if that makes sense. So anyway, Pastor Richard was able to preach there in the uh, underground church again, uh, which I know was a lot of fun for him. And uh, so continue to pray for them as, uh, as they finish out their trip this week. Uh, they are coming back, I believe, this Friday afternoon. So they have about a 36 or 37 hour trip to get back to us. So be in prayer for them, uh, but everything is going well. So we'll pray for them uh, this morning. Actually, let's do that right now. Let's go to God and, and pray. Lord, we come to you this morning grateful and humbled by your grace. Uh, Lord, we are thankful to gather together with your people uh, to hear from your word and to sing your praises. And Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to your word this morning. We pray that you would uh, help, it to, help it to do its work uh, in our heart through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we do lift up for you our Malaysia team this morning. We pray for Pastor Richard, for, uh, for Chip, and for Greta, and for Miss Marilyn, for Miss Gail. Uh, we pray that uh, you would continue to keep them safe, continue, continue to uh, help them to labor hard for the sake of the gospel in that community. Uh, Lord, we pray... So we see pictures on Facebook and uh, on the internet that they have posted of uh, the Batu Caves and uh, the idolatry that's there, Lord. And uh, we see pictures that Pastor Richard posted about those pamphlets of uh, trying to spread uh, the Islamic religion, Lord. We pray uh, for that area of the world that is so lost. Lord, we pray that uh, even through the means of this small group that, uh, that our church has sent, through the cultures who are there, uh, Lord, through the work of uh, missionaries like uh, Brother Mark and Miss uh, Barbara Terry, Lord, we pray that you would uh, cause the gospel uh, to catch fire there in Malaysia and spread like wildfire. Lord, we know that uh, through the help of your spirit, even humble means like sending a team of missionaries of six can do just that. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, use the time of our team there and the time of the Coulters and the Terrys as they've lived there uh, Lord, to cause the gospel to catch hold and to spread in that area of the world. Lord, we don't just pray for ourselves this morning. We, we want to lift up to, those, uh, to you those uh, who are in Louisville, uh, several of whom, many of whom are displaced this morning because of floodwaters. Uh, Lord, we pray for those individuals who have been affected by uh, this flash flooding. We pray that you would keep them by your grace. Lord, help them to... Uh, if they know you, to take comfort in the gospel and not in the things of this world. Father, I pray that if they don't know you, that you may even use this situation to wake them up to the realization of their need for you. Lord, we pray for the many churches uh, in Louisville who uh, have been affected by this, these floodings as well. Lord, I think of uh, the church that uh, my family and I came from, Third Avenue Baptist Church, who's right there in the middle of all of it. Lord, for Walnut Street Baptist Church uh, in Old Louisville. Uh, many of whom are probably have been affected by this flood. Lord, we, we were reminded of them this morning because of the flood waters, but Lord, we want to take this opportunity to pray for them. Uh, Lord, help them to be shining lights of the gospel uh, in Old Louisville. 
Lord, we pray that you would advance the ministry of the gospel in that area. And Lord, even in times of uh, difficulty and uh, inconvenience because of floodwaters, Lord, we pray that uh, you would use that situation to turn people to your son, Jesus. We pray that you would do it for your glory. Lord, we uh, prepare our hearts now to hear from your word, and we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit to help us to hear it, to understand it, and to apply it to our hearts. Lord, we pray that through the power of your Spirit, we would apply these truths to our lives. And Lord, may we not walk away the same. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So uh, before we dive into Philippians chapter 2, though, I wanted to take just a couple of seconds uh, to review, because it's been a couple of months since uh, I preached through Philippians chapter 1, and I think some of the things that we talked about from that sermon from chapter 1 are going to be important, I think, in, in order to understand the flow of Paul's argument and what he's saying here in chapter 2. So I want to take just a couple of seconds here at the outset to, re- to just refresh our memories of what Philippians chapter 1 was all about before we turn our attention to chapter 2. So if you remember back a few months ago when we looked at chapter 1, uh, we'll remember that Paul opens this letter in a prayer. He is praying a prayer of thanksgiving. And he is thanking God for the church in Philippi for their partnership, for their partnership uh, or in other words, their fellowship with him in the gospel. From this prayer, prayer we learned uh, that the gospel should be at the center of our fellowship with one another. So in other words... The driving force behind our church ought to be to live out the reality of the gospel in front of each other and to spread the message of the gospel of Christ to our community and to the world. It's the very purpose for our church. That is our mission. That is the mission of Bloomfield Baptist Church. To gather together. We gather together and we exist for the purpose of the gospel. That's what separates us from any other gathering in Bloomfield this morning, a social club or a special interest group or a political group or anything like that. We are not those things. We are the church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we remember that the advance of the gospel, the advance of the gospel is to be at the center of our personal aspirations. Okay, So this means that no matter what you do in life, no matter what your lot in life is, farmer or businessman, single or married, parent or childless, young or old, your primary marker of identity is in Jesus Christ. So this means that the advance of the gospel is to be the primary focus of what you do, whatever it is that you do. Last week we saw from chapter 1, that this type of life in the gospel requires great humility. We defined humility as principled self-denial, not living for self, it's principled self-denial. And that that definition is going to be important as we continue on here in chapter 2. And we saw in verse 27 the first command of the book. So Paul gives his first exhortation of the book in verse 27. And that exhortation is to make sure that we are living our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to which we are called. Okay, So the first commandment is live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And it's based upon this exhortation in verse 27 
that Paul now transitions into chapter 2 and builds his argument based upon the grounds of that command in verse 27. So read along with me as I read uh, from God's holy, inspired, inerrant word this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Jesus Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. On Sunday evenings uh, during the fall, uh, this, this fall, I have been walking through this little book with our students. And the, the title of that book is simply A Bible Study, A Student's Guide. And the purpose of this study, the purpose of this book is simply uh, to give us certain principles that we can learn so that when we go to the Bible uh, to study it, uh, we will have these principles and these things that we can use to better understand what the Bible's message is. And this last time that I met with the students, I taught them a rule from that book called the Therefore Rule. Some of you guys may have heard of this before, and if you haven't, hopefully this will be helpful to you in your own uh, Bible reading. But the therefore rule is simply this. <clears throat> it states that when you come across the word therefore in the Bible, you have to figure out what it is there for. Okay? So you've got to figure out what the therefore is there for. And if you can figure out what that therefore is there for, then you will find the main point of the text. That's really hard to say, by the way. You guys should be thoroughly impressed. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so you'll find the main point of the text. So you'll see here, the reason I bring that up, if you listen as we read along, three, on three different occasions that word therefore pops up. So this is a really important principle as we move forward to understand these verses. Matter of fact, the first word of verse 1 there is therefore. Now, I know because some of you looking at me are grinning right now. You're like, that word is not therefore. It says so, not therefore. Well, it's the same word, okay? In the Greek language, it's the exact same word. Matter of fact, every other English translation translates that word, therefore. The ESV is the only exception, and it just happens to be the one that we use. So, trust me, it's the same thing. It means the same thing. So, we need to understand, we need to figure out what is that therefore, therefore. Well, we remember that Paul has just given us this huge exhortation in verse 27 to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And the question that probably naturally comes up in your mind is, okay, great. How? How do I do that? How am I to live my life in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus? Well, I think that's the purpose of the therefore in verse 1, to show us exactly how we are to obey that command from verse 27. It's, it's like Paul is saying, do this in verse 27. And starting in verse 1, he says, okay, and here's how you do it. Okay, so I've got three main points of the sermon, three things that I think we can pull out of this text. And these are ways in which we are to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So, point number one. The first way that we are to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel is that you are to humble yourself by sharing the benefits of the gospel. You're to humble yourself by sharing the benefits of the gospel. And I get that from verses 1 through 4. It says, well, we'll read it here in just a second. What Paul is saying in these verses really is undeniably clear, and he goes to great lengths to, to point out this point. What he's doing is he's appealing to the experience of each Philippian Christian about the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ Jesus. And the way that he does it is he stacks these conditional clauses on top of each other. He stacks them right on these if-then clauses on top of each other. So look at verse 1. You'll see them very clearly. If there is any encouragement, if there is any comfort, if any participation in the Spirit... If you have received any comfort or sympathy, then complete my joy, and so on. So Paul takes these conditional clauses and he stacks them on top of each other to make his point. Well, let's make this really practical for us here this morning so we can understand it. You don't have to answer these questions out loud. Just think about them. Answer them in the rhetorical. Answer them in your own mind. Have you ever been brought out of a state of discouragement into a state of being encouraged as a result of your faith in Jesus? Have you ever received any comfort that comes from the love that Christ has for you and from the love that your brothers and sisters in this church has for you in times of pain and sorrow? Have you ever been comforted? Have you ever felt an overwhelming sense of fellowship and partnership as the result of the Spirit's common work in this particular church? Have you ever been so thankful for your church family, so profoundly grateful for your church family here at Bloomfield, 
that it will overcome feelings of loneliness and of despair? If the answer to these questions is yes, which by the way, the, Paul, the way that Paul writes this, the answer to the question is yes, right? I pray that's true of you because this is supposed to be, it's supposed to be the common Christian experience within the life of the church. Okay, and if that's true, if the answer to those questions is yes, then we are to have that same mind, that same heart of service, that same love of God's people in our own lives. And the inevitable result is that we are to pass those benefits on to other people. Also, I think it's important to realize that if your answer to those questions this morning is yes, it is because somebody, somebody has mediated God's grace to you. Somebody has mediated God's grace to you. One thing my mom used to say to me all the time when I was growing up, and she said it so often, I, could, I knew when it was coming. She would say, Nick, you need to be like Jesus to that person. Right? And I, I used to know when my mom was about to say that. Matter of fact, many times I would, I would mock her before she would say it. She was like, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, you need to be like Jesus to that person. You know, yeah, I knew it was coming. I knew it was, it was said to me so often. What my mom was trying to teach me, was trying to get me to understand, was this profound truth. Okay, so if you're taking notes this morning, this is something to write down. You and I, me and you, we are the normal means through which God extends his mercy to other people. You and I, as a part of this body of Christ, we are the normal means that God uses to mediate his grace, to show his grace to other people. Most of us have never seen a vision. We've never heard God speak to us audibly, right? We've never had an angel or something like that come down and mediate grace to us. If the answer to those questions that I asked you a moment ago were yes, by far, almost inevitably, it's because somebody else showed you God's grace. You and I are the normal means through which God extends his mercy and grace to other people. So how is it that you in this church feel loved? How is it that you feel appreciated? How is it that you feel a sense of belonging and encouragement through Jesus? It's because somebody showed it to you. It's because somebody mediated God's grace to you. And we are commanded by these verses to do the same for others. We've received the benefits of the gospel and we're commanded to pass those on to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So two really quick points of application here. I think ways that we can apply this truth to our lives. First thing, look for ways to share the mercies of Jesus with other people in this church. Look for ways to do it. Try to find ways that you can show God's mercy and grace to other people in this church. Figure out how you can. Don't just assume that when you hear a need, somebody has a need and that need pops up, don't just assume that somebody else is going to take care of it. Okay? Don't just, don't just assume that. Be creative. Be creative in the way that you try to meet each other's needs and show each other love. And don't feel entitled. Don't feel entitled. Okay? Don't think, well, I don't know that person very well. 
And so they're not really, you know, I can't really meet that person's need. Don't say, well, I've, I've just got so much else going on in my life right now, I just don't have time uh, to, to help this person. I just don't have time to mediate God's grace to this person. Or worst yet, worst yet, please don't do this. Don't say, you want me to help that person? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they said to me or about me or what they did to me? Brothers and sisters, if, if, if Jesus had that same attitude towards us that we sometimes have towards other people, every single one of us would be headed for hell right now. Every single one of us. We are commanded in these verses to show God's grace to other people, no matter who they are. The second thing, don't grumble when things don't go your way. Okay, Paul makes this very explicit in the verses coming up, but I think it's worth mentioning right here. Don't grumble when things don't go your way in the church or when you don't get your way. Don't grumble and complain about it. Okay, Make it a matter of principle that you are going to take up your cross daily and die to your own self-interest for the sake of others in this church. Make that a matter of principle. Just go ahead and decide it right now. Go ahead and take whatever selfish desires, whatever selfish ambitions that you have and nail them to the cross of Jesus. Okay, 99.9% of the time, the heart that comes from somebody who is grumbling, it comes because they don't get their way. Right? This is true of a toddler. Right? My two-year-old daughter, when she doesn't get her way, sometimes she grumbles about it. She lets us know that she's not happy with the way things are going. But usually when she's grumbling, we can tell it's because she's not getting her way, right? We can do the exact same thing as adults. We do the exact same thing as adults. So just go ahead and take those selfish ambitions and nail them to the cross of Jesus. Die to yourself. Don't look out. Paul says it this way. He says, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. So we are to remember that we are called not only to reap the benefits of the gospel, but to pass them on and to do it with a humble heart. So for Paul, all of this boils down to attitude. Right? It all boils down to attitude. What kind of attitude do you have? Is it one of selfishness and conceit? Or do you have an attitude that reflects the attitude that Jesus has towards us? And that brings us to our second point here. Look to Jesus the supreme example of humility. Look to Jesus, the supreme example of humility. Now, these next few verses are some of my favorite in the entire New Testament. So I want to pick these things apart a little bit so that we can understand what they're saying. And there's kind of two sections to verses 5 through 11. The first section comes from verse 5 down through verse 8. And then the second section marked off by therefore, by the way, starts in verse 9 and continues on through verse 11. That first section is the example of Jesus' humility, how it is that he humbled himself. And the next section, verses 9 through 11, is the result of that humility, the exaltation of Christ. Okay, so I want to take up that first section really quick, and I want to look at how Jesus humbles himself through verses 5 throughout 8. Now, in verse 6, we see two key phrases here, okay? Two key phrases in verse 6. The first phrase that we need to understand is, though he was in the form of God, 
It's important that we understand what Paul is saying there, that though he was in the form of God. And the second phrase that we need to understand is that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Those are two phrases that we've got to understand if we're going to understand these verses. And there are multiple, multiple ways that these key verses or these key phrases here have been understood throughout church history. And I don't have time to even scratch the surface of that. So I'm just going to tell you what I think is the best way to understand them. And you can take it or leave it. But I'm going to warn you, if you leave it on the side of church history anyway, you're going to err into heresy every single time. So you might want to take it, okay? (laughs) That was a joke, kind of, but nobody laughed. Okay, <clears throat> thanks for the mercy lap there. That was, that was very kind and humble of you. Yes. Okay, first phrase, Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was in the form of God. The best way to understand this phrase is that it means that Jesus was in every way God. Jesus was fully God in every way, in his essence, in his nature, in his form. Jesus was God. Son of God, second person in Trinity, pre-existent from all eternity past, in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus was God. That's what Paul is saying here when he says that Jesus was in the form of God. He was God. Second phrase, Jesus did not count his equality with God something to be grasped. Here what Paul is saying is that Jesus didn't count his godness as something to exploit or something to be used for his own advantage okay see jesus would have had every right in the world to remain in heaven and then to allow you and me to perish in our sin jesus would have had every right to do that right he was the pre-existent son of god second person of the trinity he could have said you want me to go down there and do what for them to die for them so that they can have eternal life i'm god I've got better things to do with my time, right? Jesus would have been perfectly justified to say that. Ain't nobody got time for that, you know? Jesus would have been perfectly justified to have that kind of attitude. He was, he's God. But he didn't count equality with God something to be exploited. In other way, he didn't hold his godness out there as an excuse to not humble himself for your sake and for my sake. He didn't count his godness as an excuse to leave us in our sin. Rather, he humbly took the form of a servant, right? So he's in the form of God, and he takes on this form of a servant. In other words, he became by nature and by essence and by form a human being. Okay, He became a a human being. Now, it's really important to realize here that Jesus didn't set aside his divinity. He didn't set aside his godness in order to become human. Okay, some people will read that into this passage. No, he added to his divine nature a human nature. Okay, So we don't read uh, that phrase, he emptied himself, to mean that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity in order to become a man. Right? No, what, what Paul is saying there is simply another way to say that he humbled himself by adding to himself a human nature. Okay, Now, I have some really glazed looks right now. And I realize that I just threw two seminary semesters worth of Christology at you in like 45 seconds. Okay. But it's important that you let these truths sink in. It's important that you understand what Paul is saying here because what Paul is saying here is actually at the white, hot center of the gospel that you and I believe. 
Okay, so let me hit it again from another angle so we can understand it. The God of the universe, the one through whom and for whom the entire cosmos was made, for your sake and for my sake, wraps himself in human flesh, lives the perfectly obedient life that you and I can never live, dies a horrific death on the cross by taking the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin, and then he was raised from the dead. That's where verse 9 comes in. Highly exalted, so that at the mention of his name, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to him and every tongue will cry out, Jesus is Lord. And all of that is to the glory of God the Father. It is the white hot center of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, this is the example of humility that you and I are to follow. It's the example of humility that you and I are to follow. Now, we can't die for anybody's sin. I can't go to the cross and die for your sin, and you can't do that for me, like Jesus did. But what we can do is die to our own selfishness and live our lives by counting others as more significant and more important than ourselves. And by looking out for the interest of other people rather than living self-indulgent, self-serving lives. Now remember, one day, every knee is going to bow. Every single knee is going to bow. Either you are going to bow your knee humbly in the grace that comes from belief in Christ through faith in the gospel. And the fruit of that type of life is a humble life. Or you'll bow your knee in terror, realizing that you are about to be humbled by the wrath of God because of your sin. Okay, So come out on the right side of this thing. Bow your knee to Christ and live the humble life that he uh, lived out for us as an example. And that leads us to our last point here, beginning in verse 12. The last point is, work out your own salvation. You get this from verses 12 through 18. So in verse 12 there, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this verse is really confusing and has been misunderstood a lot of times as well. But let's notice what this passage is not saying. This passage does not say work out so that you will earn your salvation. Right? We don't do good works in order to earn merit or favor from God. It's not what Paul's saying here. This passage doesn't say either that, well, you already have salvation, right? That comes, that's yours through faith in Christ Jesus. You've already got that, but now your sanctification or your growth and maturing in Christ, that's entirely up to you. You, you know, Jesus kind of, the ball's in your court. And your growth is completely and entirely up to you. Now, that would be very discouraging news as well this morning. Our Christian growth is not entirely up to me, up to ourselves. Okay? That's not what this verse is saying. Lastly, notice that these verses don't say, just let go and let God. You ever heard that phrase? I've had it a million times. I've said it a million times probably. Just let go and let God. Let Jesus take care of it all. That is not what Paul is saying here. It's something that we say a lot of times, but we need to realize that when we say that, we are being thoroughly unbiblical. We're being thoroughly unbiblical. 
What Paul is saying here, and what the Scripture teaches in multiple places, is that we are to persevere in our faith precisely because God is, serving, is sovereignly working in us to do His good will. So our moral responsibility, our human responsibility, uh, our works are not set over and against God's sovereignty. No, they work together. Brother Richard has shown us this many times throughout the book of Matthew, and he's even shown it to us in the book of Genesis. Those two things in the scripture work together, right? They're not set against each other. So God's constant sovereign work and care in your life and in my life is a reason for us to press on in our faith and work it out, okay, to do those good works. That's what, our, that's what motivates us, is that God is in us. There, verse 13, it's God that's working in us, but to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay? So God's work in us grounds our working out of our salvation. Now, Paul makes this broad point, and then he moves on to some specific ways that we should apply that, and that's where we're going to end today. We're going to take those, these specific things that Paul says and apply them to our hearts and lives this morning. Okay? So let's take these things and, and, and apply them really quickly. The first thing is in verse 14, verses 14 and 15. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Okay, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Are you a grumbling person? Do you have an attitude or a heart that grumbles and complains? Not just in the church either. I mean, in general, do you grumble and complain? We do that usually because we don't get our way. The result of having a humble heart is having an attitude that does not grumble and complain, right? And look at what the result of not grumbling and complaining is, of having that humble heart. The result is that we will be blameless, innocent, without blemish, right? We'll shine as lights in a dark and crooked generation, right? So don't grumble and complain. When we grumble and complain, it shows that we have our own self-interest at heart and not the interest of others. The second thing, verse 16, hold fast to the word of life. That in verse 16 there, hold fast to the word of life. Don't give up or grow weary of living the Christian life, right? Living the life for other people with others' interests at heart and not our own, that can wear you down. Right? Because we are selfish people by nature. We want to live for us, not for others. And so it can wear us down. But don't grow weary of living, of walking humbly with the Lord, of living the Christian life. We don't want to live for others because that's what Jesus calls us to do. We are by nature rebellious. Okay? So don't do that. Persevere in your faith. Press on because it's the one who perseveres to the end who will be saved. Verses 17 and 18 is our third thing. <clears throat> and this is maybe a little less clear, but it's there. Verse 17 and 18, Paul says, Rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in the midst of suffering. That's the result of a humble heart. Remember, as Paul is writing this letter, he is in jail. He's in jail. And not like fancy jail where you have, you know, cable TV and a workout room and three meals a day and that kind of stuff. He is in, like, chained to a wall, sitting in mud, dungeon kind of jail when he's writing this letter. And look at what he says there in verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, well, that's kind of a fancy way of saying, I could potentially die here. 
Paul is potentially sitting on death row as he writes these words. Right? So here he is sitting in jail, potentially on death row, and Paul's attitude is that he rejoices. I am glad and rejoice with you all. In the midst of such suffering, he rejoices. He realized that even if he dies, he will be raised just like Jesus. Just like Jesus had to go through that suffering and humiliation before God exalted him above every name, Paul realizes that we are no greater than our master. And part of living the humble Christian life is enduring through suffering. Suffering is a very, very real part of Christian life. Are you suffering this morning? Some of you are. Some of you really, really are. Some aren't yet, uh, but will one day. But some of you right now are. When you suffer, when you go through difficulty, Paul says to you, be glad and rejoice with me. In verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We do that. We have that attitude of humility and rejoicing and persevering under suffering because we understand suffering is temporary. It won't last forever. If your faith is in Christ, you will one day be raised with him. Just like Jesus was humbled, died the death on the cross, and God exalted him, so we too, one day, if we are humbled and live the life uh, humbly walking with the Lord, we one day too will be raised with Jesus. And on that day, not even death itself will separate you from the love that God has for you in his son. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these words. Lord, we pray that through the grace and power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in us and help us to work out our salvation. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts and attitudes of humility and love for others. Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to pass on the benefits of the gospel uh, to other people in this church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.